Hello, are we on the air yet? Welcome to the Core Performance Podcast, taking you one step closer to self-mastery on and off the course. Fire up that growth mindset, and let's dive into the core of elite golf and human performance. Now, here's your hosts, Ian Highfield and Andrew Losey. Hello, podcast world, and welcome to the second edition of the Core Performance Podcast. Now, it's with great pleasure uh, that today uh, I get to introduce a guest. So the first episode, you heard myself and Andrew talk about our goals for the podcast and our vision. Well, today we carry out that vision with a, a very special guest. Perhaps this guest could be the best, definitely is one of the best junior golf coaches in the world, uh, vastly experienced. He's worked in junior golf for probably nearly about 15 years now. He started at the Gary Gilchrist Golf Academy, uh, where he became the director of golf. He co-founded the Bishopsgate Golf Academy and is now one of the lead coaches and an expert in junior development at the David Ledbetter Golf Academy. In 2012, uh, I met Zach, and it was his dream, his vision, his mission, and his passion that attracted me to come to the US. He gave me my very first uh, start in junior golf in the USA, which obviously now I'm eternally grateful for, and maybe his biggest achievement was being best man at my wedding recently. Uh, so without any more talking, let's just jump in and listen to this awesome conversation that myself and Andrew had with Zach Parker, junior development expert, David Ledbetter Golf Academy, and all round one of the most passionate, energetic, enthusiastic, and knowledgeable golf coaches in the world. Zach, how are you? What's going on? Not much. Thank you guys for having me. It's exciting. Hopefully you had a wonderful Thanksgiving and uh, just grateful for the opportunity to sit here and chat with you guys. No worries. Where, where were you? Where were you for Thanksgiving? What, what's, what were your movements? Uh, we had a camp with the academy, so I spent a couple of days there and then spent uh, the actual day of Thanksgiving with my brother and sister-in-law down in Palm Beach. So it was nice. Nice. And, and now what's, what's been, what's been going on post Thanksgiving? Yeah, this is just the busy season for us with tournaments and just trying to wrap up the semester. So preparing some students for an AJGA in the Dominican Republic. So practicing our windy golf shots here, getting ready, but uh, things are great. Nice. Andrew, Thanksgiving, where were you? I was at the Poulter household for Thanksgiving for the second year in a row. We had a great meal and a great night. And uh, yeah, it was a lot of fun. So you, Zach, you were in Palm Beach. I was Andrew, here in Orlando. You were in Orlando with the Porters. And I was in my house cooking for my mother-in-law and my wife. So I think I definitely got the, the short straw there. I don't know. I don't know if you guys agree with that. that might that's, what you, that's what you do when you're only uh, been married for four months. That's true. That's true. Big sacrifices, big sacrifices. So, um, Zach, 
I gave you uh, an incredible build-up in the introduction to this podcast. I told everyone you're the reason why I'm in the USA and that you are potentially the number one junior golf coach in the world. Obviously, I exclude myself and Andrew uh, from that list. Um, So why don't you just tell us a little bit about yourself, about your journey, uh, and then myself and Andrew will start firing some questions at you about uh, junior golf, golf in general, human performance, and, and really with the goal of having our listeners take some things away um, that they can apply um, with their own kids, that they can apply into their own golf. Just We just want to tap into your, your knowledge and your passion and just put some nice information out there for the for the golfing world, especially the the junior golfing world. Yeah, awesome. Well, that's definitely where my passion lies. And a little background on me: I was just a small town kid that grew up in way upstate New York, basically Canada, just outside Lake Placid. And I had a passion for sport. I was decent at a lot of sports, but never very good. And was a skier. Got injured looked at my dad and said, what do you do when you can't really walk? And I said, I think that's got to be golf, right? That's what people do when they get old. So why don't I get into golf? And quickly I realized that it's not just for old people and you have to really understand how to use your body. And my obsession became based around understanding how people move, understanding how people learn. Um, I was blessed to have an opportunity to work at a country club outside New York City for, it felt like a hundred years, but I think it was only eight years. Um, My mentor there became like a father to me and gave me a platform to really decide that this is what I wanted to do. I wanted to teach and teach in Mrs. Haverkamp for every Saturday started to become a little mundane. So I decided to do, I guess, what everyone does and put themselves out there and I created a crazy exercise DVD. Oh, I have a copy guys... of that DVD. I have a copy Hopefully of that DVD. You guys don't with... ever... I, I'll, I'll get the, the, the case where you're wearing the pink trousers. I can put that oh. as, the, as the screenshot for this podcast. And then I can burn the DVD onto YouTube and we can put a link to all those exercises of you in your tight pink trousers. Uh, so we, we, we can figure that one out, right? So, so... Yeah, well, please. Well, that Carry exercise... On. That exercise DVD was more of a resume for me in the sense that I sent it to every one of the top 100 coaches with the audacity to say, hey, here's who I am. I can make a huge difference to your program. And I was lucky. One guy, I think, responded to my email and said, hey, I'm starting a junior golf academy and seems like your skill set would be great. And that guy was Gary Gilchrist. He gave me an opportunity in California. I helped him start a golf academy there. And then he moved me to Florida and we took the golf academy from eight students to 90 students in three years. I spent five years running his golf academy and then started a golf academy with yourself. And we took that golf academy from zero and built it into 90. And then I realized that those were great opportunities, but they also shed some serious light onto the ways to do it right and the ways to do it wrong. And I stepped away from junior golf and actually worked as a consultant on the tour, selling a 
product that was going to help people understand how to use their body. And in that year, I realized how much I missed junior golf. So I was lucky to have a previous colleague reach out to me and say, hey, we're doing something amazing at the Ledbetter Academy. We love your skill set. And now I've been at the Ledbetter Academy for three years. And I can't tell you how much I'm so obsessed with junior golf development and what it means and just grateful for the opportunity to be in an environment that allows us to do it right. We're a boutique academy that only has 24 students and will never be bigger. And the reason why is because we want to provide quality instruction to quality athletes and be extremely selective in not only the coaches we have, but more importantly, the athletes we have, because as you know, more than anyone, the power of the environment is really what it's all about. Zach, so Ian and I, we were chatting about the environment a little bit before. And obviously, you know, where I came from working for Ian Poulter is a, is a wild environment. And he's, you know, come up in, in the PGA Tour and in the Ryder Cups with um, an amazing mentality. How, how do you work with kids? You know, you say you've got, you've got 24 kids in, at the Ledbetter Academy. How do you work with that? I'm sure you have a wide range of personalities, but how do you how do you help those wide range of personalities and different you know ages and levels of of player to to what do you instill in them to kind of build up that mentality and, and build up to become a, an elite performer? What what do you think is like a key that you really focus on? Well, I mean, certainly one of the keys is. Uh having Ian as a consultant for us because he starts the program with goal setting. And as you know, the goal setting isn't just your standard, Hey, what do you want to achieve? It's more the what, how, why. And I think when you really talk about tapping into an athlete's why that's when you can unlock their passion and someone like Pultz, right? He's an amazing role model for so many of these kids, right? Just a, just an average golfer that kind of fudged his scores to be right. able to become a pro. And then he worked his way up. But the one thing that he always had was self-belief. So if he was coached by an, a coach that didn't have self-belief, there would be a conflict. So what I think is really important is finding that athlete's why, and then finding the coach that's going to be able to cultivate that why and inspire them and push them because golf's not easy. So if a coach makes it easy, then they're probably never going to succeed. So I guess tapping into what's best for each player is more about figuring out who that player is and, and why they play golf. Yeah. And I think, I think one thing that I've always noticed about you, Zach, and, and myself, and I, I don't know whether you modeled this off me, whether I modeled it off you, whether we both did it, but since the first day we've worked together, Whenever a kid has said, hey, this is my goal. I want to go to the tour or I want to do the. I want to be a, a, a brain surgeon. I want to be a neuroscientist. I want to be um, I want to win 25 majors. We, we, I, I remember as having a kid that said I want to win 25 majors. Neither of us have ever said you won't be able to do that. All that we've done is try to create an environment where, hey, if this is your goal, these are the behaviors that you're going to have to have. 
Um, and, and I've got to say, I think one of the best reflections on, on you as a coach, and I might even try and record it and put it in here or have an extra link to it, was Julian. Do you remember Julian Perico, what he said about you on that, on that podcast? Um, yeah, the Back he, of the Range podcast. Back of the Range podcast. He said, I was 16 years old and man, I sucked, man, I sucked. But Zach Parker never, ever, ever like stop believing in me, stop helping me, stop. And he said, and, and that, it was that moment, it was those moments when everything started to change for me. And, and, I, and I think that's true, right? If you, if the first interaction you have with the student is to tell them that their goal is unrealistic or to tell them that they'll never achieve that or, oh, I used to coach someone that was far better than you and they didn't get that good. That's just a terrible environment. I, I think junior golfers should be able to claim any goal. And then it's, it's our job to hold them accountable to those behaviors, which I think as I've got older, I've got maybe better at doing, or maybe just more stricter and more miserable in general. I don't know. You'll be a better judge of that. Um, but I definitely feel like if a kid tells me I want to do this, I'm going to hold them accountable for, for those behaviors. Yeah, I guess I can't say if it was you or me that modeled it off of each other. But what I can remember is that when you came to America for an interview, you said, hey, I want to be this amazing golf coach and I want to inspire young people. And you at the time were consulting in a different field. You were doing golf as a side hustle. Mm. And there were so many there were so many people that told you, hey, you're crazy. You can't do this. You never played on tour or whatever. And I think the three of us, right, we are all exceptional golf coaches. And at one point, if we had listened to some critics, we wouldn't have the privilege of sitting here and extending this knowledge to other people. So there is no doubt that if an athlete tells me they want to be great, my only job is to make sure that they understand it's not about the success that they have. It's about their daily effort, their habits, and the actions they take. Because I wouldn't be sitting here if it wasn't for my daily effort, the amount of time that I studied, the amount of people that told me I would never make it is the reason why I guess you could say I've made it. And I think the same goes for you. And while Andrew is younger than us, I'm sure people are telling him the same thing. So yeah, if you want to put a limiting belief on a kid, that's probably, unfortunately, you looking at yourself in the mirror and projecting the reasons why you failed as a golfer onto your athletes. Zach, one of the questions that, that, comes to mind and, and you know you you talk about limiting beliefs but then also taking somebody who's really motivated to to make it to the tour whether it be in business and something that they want to succeed in how do you take you know that that mindset and that that effort that they that they have and direct it into a why that just helps them even more become more motivated and, and kind of keep that fire going inside yeah, I mean, I guess there's two, two ways to make a change, right? Through pleasure or through pain. And I think that, you know, if we look at Carol Dweck's work and we look at all the principles out there of that carrot philosophy, that's not who I am. The way that I get athletes better is I make sure 
that they realize every day that they're just at the bottom of the mountain. And if they want to climb and they start to make it to the top, I promise you, I'm going to find a way to have the training, put an avalanche on them. And they're going to have to figure out how to climb out of that. And they're going to have to climb to the top because you have, you have a choice and you can either love adversity or you can hate it. And the players that actually make it love adversity. The players that love to get better are the players that are going to get there. And I definitely don't make practice easy. I definitely don't put those limiting beliefs on them, but the only reality they need to know is that if they put forth the effort at some point, they have the potential to make it. Yeah. And I, I, I want to add to that because I'm always concerned. You get the, the 12 year old that turns up to the Academy and they've won 167 times and they've got the same whatever junior record in whatever junior world tournament as, as Jordan Spieth or Ricky Fowler or whoever you want to be. And there's already an article in the newspaper about them that says, this is the next tiger or this, is this the next Jordan? And it's all too easy. They've never, ever, ever faced any adversity. They've never faced any stress. And I've experienced this. I'll tell you, when that hits you, if it hits you at the age of 17, 18, 19, and you've never faced it before, it's a real issue as an athlete to, to have the mindset to push through it because you're in the unknown. Whereas if you face adversity and stress from day one and you have just, that's the environment and that's all that you know, you've built the psychological capacity to deal with it. That's what you need to be elite. That, that I'm convinced the best golfers in the world are the ones that have the ability to deal with adversity and to adapt. You cannot tell me that Spieth's golf swing outshoots X amount of golf swings on the Corn Ferry Tour. Spieth's success comes from his ability to deal with adversity and his ability to adapt. Uh, and, and I think, again, what you're saying, you know, that when we write reports on junior golfers, they're going to get their trackman numbers, they're going to get their body track numbers, they're going to get their K-motion numbers, they're going to get their stats from the stats program. Are we giving a, a qualitative or quantitative information to a parent on, hey, this is their ability to deal with adversity? This is their ability to adapt because ultimately if they do want to win a major, that's what they're, that's what they're going to need. So I, I, I completely agree with you there. I completely agree with you there. The core performance podcast. Now back to the show. What, what do you think Zach can be done when you get, you know, a player, you're right, you get players from different backgrounds, but what do you do as a coach to, to build an environment? Like what are some of your tools in your toolbox that you use um, to, to put that adversity on or put that, put that pressure on students? Yeah, Zach, I, I, can you get like quite specific with this? Some of the tasks that you, that you might yeah. do or, or, or that you might give um, and then I, I think as well, like a lot of people that are going to listen to this, 
maybe if they're an adult, they'll play golf themselves. So how could, because you're fortunate enough where you're going to see the same six, seven kids five days a week for a year. It's a long-term athletic development program. So give some examples of what you do, but then I know you do give out lessons as well. So then flip it a bit. And just if, if there's a businessman that has a couple of hours to practice, how might he be able to put himself under a bit of stress or pressure uh, in practice to, to, you know, just be a little bit more mentally and psychologically prepared for the, for the Sunday medal. Is that, 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 that's fair, right? That's possible to. Yeah, of course. I mean, I think it starts with understanding how people learn and understanding the impact of spacing and variability and understanding that if we're trying to change a movement pattern, we want that movement pattern to actually hold up under the ultimate stress, right? Whether that's the 18th hole, they have to get up and down to win, or that's a player that has to make par on the last hole to get their PGA tour card. If they're practicing and they are compartmentalizing their technique for a certain amount of time and they're compartmentalizing performance, then they're kind of limited. Whereas I believe that you should interleave everything. So when you ask me how I challenge a player, I, let's say it's a player that's working on their angle of attack with their driver. I'm giving them a training circuit that has the technical change. I'm giving them a training circuit that incorporates a task where they have to leave that area and go to another area, perform a task. If they don't complete that task, they don't get to come back to the area where they're working on their technique. And when we talk about junior golf, a lot of times players have this misconception that if they make their swing better, they're going to play better. And that starts with a lot of times the parent, right? because the parent believes, hey, I'm gonna to come to this coach and I'm gonna pay a certain amount of money and they're gonna change my kid's technique. My job is to make sure that the parent and the player understand that we're gonna change their movement pattern so that can hold up under stress. So every day, whether we're changing a technical aspect of their game or we're working on performance, we're interleaving that with every aspect. So it's not just one area, go and putt for 45 minutes and then go and chip for 45 minutes. It's work on technique, do a performance task, and then earn your right to get back to the area where you're working on your technique. So give, give, us, a, give us a specific, right? We're, we're trying to uh, change the path. Yeah, sure. So, I mean, I guess Give us if it's an average, if this is a parent and they're that chronicle slicer of the golf ball and they think, hey, I'm going to put some crappy training aid on that's going to put me into the position that's going to allow me to change. They're, as soon as they take that aid off, they're actually going to get worse. So 90% of the time when I'm making a technical change, I'm pulling the athlete out of position. So I'm moving them into their flawed pattern. So let's say that's the player that's slicing it. I might put a band around the club and I might be pulling their hand path towards the target line. So they're becoming steeper, if you will, or, I mean, obviously we know now that there's no such thing as a plane in the golf swing. There's a million planes, but let's say to just layman's terms, they're coming over the top. I'm pulling them out of that position 
And then they're having to do the work to shallow the golf club. And then as soon as I take that extra resistance away, they're going farther into the desired pattern. And when they do that correctly for one or two reps, I'm going to then move them to a completely different area. So then they to forget is to remember is what you've always taught me, Ian. So I'll take them to the putting green. Maybe they have to make a six footer. If they make the six footer, they earn the right to come back into that area where I'm pulling them into the flawed pattern. They hit two or three successful learning trials. Then they have to go back and make that six footer. And most of the time, the first two sessions that I do this in, the player looks at me like I'm the stupidest person in the world. And they're saying, if I want to get better, I just have to get reps. And that's when I get all excited because I get to pontificate about what I know and what I love. But ultimately, I think if you look at my players or you look at athletes that have worked with me, they're going to be doing some sort of resistance training where they're being pulled out of the out of position instead of into position. And then if they're really doing what they've learned from me, they will probably spend less than five balls at that area and they will go somewhere else. And when they come back, they're going to take the time to relearn that new movement pattern and then ultimately own that pattern. So to wrap that up into a practical way that someone can do it, less reps, be pulled out of position. And as soon as you feel like you're starting to understand what you're doing, go somewhere else and then come back and have to relearn that skill so that they own it. Yeah, I, 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 got, I got three quick things to say. Number one, to forget is to remember, I don't say that anymore. I say the goal of golf practice is not to get a feeling and keep it. It's to lose the feeling and be able to learn to recall it. Nice. I stole that of Robbie Fails. So Robbie Fails said that, and I said, I'm going to start saying that now. It's way better than to forget is to remember. So I'll credit Robbie Fails with that. But that is the goal of golf practice. To anyone listening, you're not trying to get hold of a feeling and keep it. You're trying to lose the feeling and be able to learn to recall it. Um, the second thing, and, and this is where your genius is, Zach, and, and I saw this the first time I saw you coach at Gary Gilchrist when I came over on a whim that, that in 2012, Christmas 2012, and, and everything took off for us from, from that moment, our, our relationship grew. But I remember seeing you train, and it was so dynamic. Fitness, technique, performance, all going on at once, absolute chaos, but organized chaos. And what the brain has to do is it has to cut through this organized chaos. And we don't learn in sterilized, clinical, safe environments. We learn in chaotic environments because our brain has to block out the noise and learn to focus. So I think your genius lies in when you create these circuits and all the tasks are interleaved, um, it, it, it really does help the student learn to cut through chaos. And, and that's linked to dealing with adversity. It's not, it's not an easy, it's not a safe environment. Uh, and I think the third thing I wanted to add is 
when we coached Golf I Golf I City. Yeah. Uh, so there's a 30-minute video of Zach putting two amateur golfers that have a huge YouTube following, two great guys from, from the New York area. There's a video of Zach putting them through one of these circuits. Uh, so I'm going to put that link in the description for this podcast. And anyone who's hungry to learn and wants to see the future of, uh, of golf coaching, they, they should watch this video. Um, so that's the three things. Andrew, did you have? No, that's great. I mean, I, I love the, the circuit training and, and everything that Zach just mentioned um, and, and trying to, to challenge the golfer to, to, again, get to that level that they need to with whatever movement they're trying to create and then go do something else and come back and can they, can they get it again? Um, that's, that's definitely the, 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 the way to teach and, and have somebody learn. Um, it's the way that, that golf coaching is going. I love that you mentioned that. Awesome. Yeah. I mean, I, I guess to, to interject, right. Like the, if I wanted to look good as a golf coach and I wanted people to think, wow, this guy's amazing. That's why I pay his hourly rate. I would let them hit 20 balls in a row and I would probably put them in the position and I would probably put their swing side by side. And I would probably tell them, look how smart I am, but that doesn't last in my job. I'm lucky, right? Like I'm in long-term development. I want an athlete to actually make the change. So Trevor Regan was a big influence on me back in the day. He has an incredible resource for a lot of people and he he deemed it train ugly I guess the thing that happens to most golf coaches or most teachers even I see it with my daughter who's eight and in school if the teacher wants to think that I know my daughter knows her times tables she asks all the eights and then she never asks the threes or the nines or the sevens but when she comes home and the reason why she's excelling at school is because there is never an eight followed by an eight. It's an eight and then it's a two and then it's a six and then it's a 10 and then it's an 11 and it's a 12 and it's a seven. And she looks at me and she goes, why do you make it so hard, dad? And I said, it's not hard. You're actually learning. It's not my job to make it easy. It's my job to help you learn. And I think that's if the golf industry or the education system can go in that direction, we'll see a massive improvement, not only in the retention of players in our sport, but we'll see a massive improvement in the way that they're progressing as athletes. So Zach, just, just off of that, I have a, I have a quick question. You, you know, we see golf ranges and we see people videoing their swings, or maybe they're on a launch monitor and they're checking their data every single time. As a coach, how often are you, you know, taking a video of a golf swing or getting some some data point and letting the student see it and analyze it, um, you know, ball after ball or, or, you know, what what kind of rate do you do in that? It's a good question. Yeah, so I guess the old way, right, of comparing swing A to swing B and showing the improvement is not what I do, right. but I 100% video my players all the time when they're on the golf course. Love that. 
video them on the range and then I'll show them what looks different or what's happening when they're on the golf course or what's happening when there's contextual interference, but it is not my job to make them look good standing on the range. If you want to see a side-by-side comparison from Zach Barker, one of those videos 100% of the time will be on the golf course and probably in competition. Did, did you just suggest in the last five minutes that the one hour golfing lesson doesn't work, the education system is flawed and that the range and the golf course are different? So the one hour lesson definitely works if you apply the, the principles that we're talking about. The, Good answer. The, the practice facility definitely works if you see it as a training ground and not as a place to groove your swing and the education system I don't think is flawed I think the way that educators are told to get results is flawed and I think the testing system is flawed luckily for us the testing system in our sport is not flawed there there are no ways to cheat a tournament and if you look at a coach I don't look at a coach and say, wow, they make pretty golf swings. I look at a coach and say, oh, wow, they get results. That, that was an unbelievably good answer. I feel like you should be a politician. That was amazing. Um, yeah, I didn't put that in my intro, but I, I thought about uh, being a lawyer, and then I realized that's a ton of work, and I would rather get a suntan and ride in a golf cart all day. Yeah, but the amount of work then that you've put in to knowing all this, you could have probably been a lawyer. The, the irony, the irony. Yeah, um, definitely have a bigger boat. Let's let's talk a little bit. Well, let's talk about that. Let's talk because that's where I want to I want to go with this. So, you know, I, I, I've I've known I watched your daughter Liliana take her first steps. I, I moved into your house when she could only crawl around in like a half circle because only half she only worked out how to use half her body as a six month old or however old it was um so I, I i know that she is excelling in school now and she's eight coming up nine um and it, and it wasn't always that case right there's been like speech oh. therapy there's been like it's not been a a, a smooth yeah. road for for her she wasn't always excelling in school so talk a little bit more about the, the environment that, that you create at home and then talk a little bit more about the, the wakeboarding experience and how you've transferred your golf knowledge into helping her or your, just your understanding of coaching and human performance into helping her because I've seen her struggle to talk to now excelling in school and I've seen her be scared to go in the water where... I had to get in the water with her so she would be comfortable going in the water to not even one year later doing a 360. That's insane. Yeah, so I guess, I mean, thanks for that. I think, I think the big thing for me is that I can't shut it off. I, now that I know how people learn and I know that the, the optimal way to help someone learn and then retain a skill as a parent, it's my obligation to then apply that knowledge to my daughter. So she struggled with speech like bad, right? And so 
everyone would want normally would want to coddle her or would want to say hey put her in a place that she's safe i gave her microphones i made her order at restaurants i made her be uncomfortable every day so that she could learn how to become comfortable in terms of sport i guess i was crazy dad at 5 she was being pulled behind me on a skateboard. I was towing her on a tow rope and I was launching her down hills and she was falling. She was getting hurt, but she wanted to learn. She wanted to get better. So I think to pull it back to Andrew's thing about adversity, I think that's what I do as a dad. I think I make sure that my daughter fails every day. And I think, you know, there's an amazing podcast with the founder of Spanx talking about how at her family dinner, instead of talking about, Hey, what was awesome today? They said, what'd you fail at today? And that's something that I definitely have embraced as a family. I want my daughter to fail every day. So the way she learned the 360 is she learned how to wake surf. And then I took all the fins off the board. And she was decent and all her friends or whatever on the lake were like, oh, wow, she's so good. And so I took the spins off and said, now you're going to suck and you're going to figure it out. And said, oh, dad, this is too hard. And then she figured that out. And I said, cool. So you can ride normal. Let's ride switch. Struggled. Learned how to ride switch. Then switch is going the opposite direction in the wave, by the way. So like, if you normally have your left foot forward, switch would be going right foot forward. So if you were a golfer, it would be like, okay, so you learned how to hit a six iron off a flat lie right-handed. Well, let's put an ultra stiff shaft in a female golfer. Let's put a senior shaft in a really, someone that downloads it like Sergio, right? So constraints led learning is probably at the foundation of what I do. My daughter learned the 360, not because she watched herself ever do it physically but she sat on the boat and she visualized herself doing it when she said hey dad i want to show ian i can do a 360 i said are you sure and she said yeah i've already done it 10 times in my mind let's go do you remember do you remember when she did it and it took her about 10 seconds to realize that she'd done it yeah, so in wake surfing, like you could fall out the back of the wave and she had to pump to get back in the wave and she's got her hands up and she's so excited. But the reason, the reason she was excited wasn't because we were going to praise her success. It was going to be because she earned it and we were going to praise the effort that she had to make that possible. I definitely didn't follow my own advice there. I was just like, whoa, that was, I was clapping. I was like, yeah, yeah. you're going to be a champion. I did everything wrong in that moment. I just got completely carried away. Um, awesome. I, I think that's an, that's an awesome answer. Um, Andrew, you got, you got any more questions for, for Zach or? I don't, I think that was great. And I love that you, you said, you know, I can't turn it off. I can't turn off the, the coaching um, but, yeah. but, you know, as you said, you know, you can have, you know, with, with everything that your daughter has done and, and turning into a, a great speaker and turning into a great student and, 
you know, excelling in so many things. I think that, you know, that just goes to show that, you, you know, this stuff that we do as coaches in athletics can be used in everyday life. And, you know, whether it be children or whether it be for ourselves in business or, or you know, athletics, um, it's definitely a, a great, great thing. And I love that. I love that personal story. That's so, so great. Yeah, man. She, to, to brag on her a little bit, she got to speak at her, um, her school does this amazing thing where they, they do assemblies once a week. And she got to speak up and say, hey, what makes her a great friend? And wow. the first thing she said is, I'm confident. And I think when you ask how you train or how I make players better or how I tap into their why, I think the most important thing is to cultivate their confidence. And too often confidence is thought to be cultivated through success. And I think if parents, coaches, educators can understand that confidence is learned through failure, then players are going to get better. My daughter would never have stood up in front of her school three years ago. She would have, well, I guess that's not fair. She would never have thought that she spoke funny or she would never have thought that someone was going to make fun of her because we tried to cultivate her confidence, not tell her what she had to do better. And that's like a golf coach saying, hey, you come over the top and you slice it. And all they do is say the fault. Yeah. If you actually want a player to get better, or if I want my daughter to be an amazing public speaker, then you have to put them in an environment where they have the opportunity to fail and they get better. It's, it's that easy. So I, it's interesting. It's interesting what you say. I, I bet if you went to 10 different coaches and got your, your swing filmed, nine of them would only say what you do wrong. There might be one who say, oh, this is really good. This is really good. This is really good. And then your area for development would be this. That would be one in 10. The other nine would be like, this bit sucks. This sucks. This sucks. You need to get better at this. You need to do this more, this more, and this more. So I, I, I agree with that. I think as a coach and as a parent, always pointing out, wow, that's great. That's great. That's great. And then your area for development, if you work on this, that could take everything to the next level. I think that's a great way to, to like phrase things. Um, yeah. And I think it comes down to two, like parents that want their kid, like you were saying, Andrew, about, you know, Luke and his situation that could be seen as, Oh man, this kid gets opportunities because his dad's Ian Poulter. My dad's not Ian Poulter. I couldn't imagine the pressure it is to play and have yeah, everyone know that it's out through there. They can flip yeah. it the other way. Yeah. Right. Like, so there's a kid that was okay. And definitely people were like, Oh, he only gets opportunities because Ian's his dad to what he did in junior golf this last year. That's pretty impressive. Yeah. And that probably came because he heard those cries and he heard people say that and he yeah. felt that and, it's, and he developed his own swagger. I don't yeah. know. If, well, I don't think well, you can teach swag. What the, the, the coolest thing too is, you know, Ian, he's, he can be a, you know, he can be strict and he wants the best for, for Luke, obviously. And so he, he knows that he's, he's not going to just kind of like coddle him and, and say, Oh, you shot us uh, even par 72 today. Great job. It's, 
hey, let's talk about why you made a double bogey and, and what we can do better. Um, but, but the best moment over the last year or so was, and I, I, made a, I made a post about this when Luke actually verbally committed to Florida. And, and I said, he did it on his own. And there was no phone Ooh. call from his dad to, to UF to get him in. He did it by himself. And that confidence for him just skyrocketed once he actually got onto that team and he did it by himself. No doubt. And you have to think, right? Like JC, he had to be thinking like, is this kid good enough? Or are people going to think that I'm just bringing him on? So for Luke to earn his spot on the Gators is actually way harder than one of the players that I coached to earn their spot. Right. Cause that's external pressure. Yeah. And more, I don't know. Like that's, those are some big shoes to fill and, you know, big Ferraris to try and drive around the yard, but like he's figured it out and he's doing it his own way. He doesn't, you know, to his credit, he he doesn't act like his dad. You have a choice. It's going to drive you one way or the other. Like a lot of successful athletes come from adversity and people will say, Oh, well, they got, they got driven that way because they're adversity. But a lot of people in adversity also go to jail. So you have a choice. So no doubt. Luke has a choice. Like he can be in his dad's shadow and 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 recline. Or he can take that little bit of extra pressure that it applies to him and it can drive him in the in the right direction. And and he's gonna make that choice. But going back to everything or the first thing you said. The environment around him will definitely influence how he makes, which choice he makes, where it's gonna, which way it's gonna drive him. Um, so we we talked a little bit at the first about the motivation of the individual being super important. We talked then about the uh, creating an environment of belief and accountability. We talked then about dealing with adversity, and then we really talked a bit about how you're gonna practice creating like an organized chaos. Um, trying to lose the feeling and recall it rather than, than keep hold of the feeling. Uh, and then we, we talked a little bit about you being, uh, being a super dad. Uh, so we want to we wanna wrap up, Zach, with... We always want to go back to the evidence-based stuff. So I know you do a lot of reading. I've read research papers. Do you want to throw a couple of books out there that can... A couple of books, a couple of podcasts, maybe... Uh, some YouTube videos, whatever it might be that people can go to if they've liked what they've listened to on this podcast that can really sort of dive into these things in more depth and more detail? Yeah, well, I mean, I think a lot of the foundation to the way that I coach, you know, obviously some people say, hey, stay in your sport, but I, I really try and look outside my sport. And I think one of the greatest minds in coaching Today is a guy by the name of John Kessel. He's associated with USA Volleyball and he puts out amazing things about how he uses video feedback with his practice, how he structures his practice. I think to, you know, I think I said it earlier, but Trevor Regan and Train Ugly has been a, a foundation to what I do. And earlier I talked about Carol Dweck's work. And I think that's that's really important too for people to understand that that carrot principle isn't how it works. I didn't say to my daughter, hey, if you get a 360, 
we're going to buy a new boat. I said to her, Hey, do you love wake surfing? Do you want to get better? And I mean, there were days where I wanted to go on the lake and if she didn't ask to go, we didn't go. And I think that's the athlete has to be the driver of their success. So I think that's important. And then to a book that really helped me with that would be uh, ego is the enemy. And I think it's important to understand and really tie into what you guys project onto your kids and um, from a parenting side to be like a super dad, um, there's no better resource than Dr. Shafali. Her work is incredible and people should read it and people should understand it. And the only time I get mad at my daughter is when I'm projecting my own crap onto her. Um, so I think that's, that's really important. So those would be some resources, but I think the greatest resource is doing it and reaching out to experts and actually getting that hands-on knowledge. I wouldn't be the coach I am today if when I was making that exercise DVD, I also took all the money that I was making, which was like no cash. Thanks, Joe Starzik for that. But I was making no cash in every week. I was going to one of the top 100 coaches to take a lesson. They wouldn't allow me to come in shadow. So I paid money to take a lesson to have them work on my game, which is definitely, you know, worth every penny. And I didn't see the return on that investment, but um, I went and I learned because I was doing it. So if you want to get better as a parent, apply these things and see the reaction in your kids. If you want to get better as a golfer and you have an athlete that you think, hey, my son or daughter could be great. You can't go and hit 106 irons on the range mm -hmm. and then tell your kid they have to do a circuit training. You have to model the behavior you want in your athletes. And if the coach that you seek out for your athlete isn't modeling what you want for your child, and I hope that's studying, praising effort, and pushing themselves, then you probably need to make a change. Just very quickly, come on, man, there's one more book you got to recommend. I mean, it's a shameless plug, and I feel like I listen to a lot of yeah, Joe Rogan. Let's go. Plug like, it. I feel like this is what we're supposed to do. So uh, there's one of the one of the top rated uh, books on Amazon right now is uh, Golf Practice. It was written by uh, a few good looking guys, and then one guy with huge ears named Ian Highfield, um, and myself, and Eric Zeigel, and Matthew Cook, and I think. To shamelessly plug it would be funny, but actually what, what you did in that book, Ian, is you took all of our knowledge and all of the studying and the hours and the obsession that we have, and you took all of that and you made it practical. So instead of it just being this science manual or the hours that we spent reading the Cambridge handbook together, it's really a way that people can have this digestible way to apply what I'm talking about. Agreed. If you did nothing, if people did nothing from this conversation, if they just applied spacing variability and challenge point yeah. to their life, to their education and to their athletic endeavors, they would thrive.
and and I'll shamelessly plug that book anyway because I passionately believe it it adds value to any golfer that is that is willing to practice. Uh, last thing, no doubt. We- I get a DM. I get a DM every day from someone that says, "Wow, the book is amazing," and I just have to say, "Well, obviously, I wrote it. Ian didn't have anything to do with that." <laughs> and then all those negative people out there that say hey this is too easy it's not how it works you have to dig it out the dirt i think that's the best compliment that we could get because it is very easy it it is very clear that if you want to learn you have to do what robbie said you have to force yourself to have to relearn that skill and put yourself in that environment, whether it's the math equations for my daughter or it's the surfing or it's learning how to play golf. That's what it's all about. Innovation, man. You got to be innovative and find out way, figure out ways to, to create that chaos. Um, shout out to Dr. Tim Lee and to Dr. Anders Ericsson. Um, Dr. Anders Ericsson, fortunately not, not with us anymore, but, the, the godfather of, of human performance and shout out Stuart Morgan, probably in my opinion, the, the best golf coach in the world. Uh, they're the that's an amazing book, actually. That every if there's junior golf parents, oh yeah, book. If they should really read read the gifted the, the gifted, gifted junior, the gifted yeah, junior. It's yeah. really it really breaks down what we talked about and it dives into things that we didn't even talk about, like. What we're gonna get. We're gonna get. I'll get Stu on. Stu's gonna. Stu's gonna come on uh, very soon. Um, yeah, we'll do him like three or four episodes after me. Yeah, so yeah. I, I mean, it's on. I spoke to him today, man, and it's it's unreal. It's just going to a whole other level. Um, last thing. But there's a guy. There's a guy, right? For everyone to understand, to go back to that goal thing. Oof. Imagine if people told Stu, "Hey, you're not gonna be at the Ryder Cup. You're not gonna be coaching." PGA tour players how to practice because that's not how it works in 20 years ago. He'll tell you he was on the range at a PGA tour event or European tour event, trying to do what everyone else did so he could fit in. And as soon as he made the choice to stand out, he's he's shining. The stuff he's telling me on the phone today is, is mind blowing. Um, We'll, we'll wrap it up. One more thing. You want to talk about my, my wake surfing career or should we, should we wrap it up before? <laughs> no, I think it's good for everyone to know though. Like I do no all what? jokes aside, Ian's a really bad wake surfer, <laughs> but the, the one thing he came down for his bachelor party and we had a bunch of guys out on the boat trying to get him up. But the one thing that actually got him up is the one thing that he does with every one of our athletes, which we put on an Inky Johnson on the speakers on the boat. He got himself into state and he got up. And in the, if we had just time-lapsed that experience, you persevered through adversity. Yeah, you, yeah. Used, you used your mind to allow your body to do what you want to do. And that's, that's really what it's all about. Like you are really not good at wake surfing, but you are really good at <laughs> applying the things that you talk about and I guess grit would be a book people could read yeah, because yeah, you, you, you encapsulated grit in that 
I, opportunity. And now you're, you're actually dropping the rope. Hopefully this I, weekend you put on a little wetsuit and you get out there. I also think that the Trulies and the Bud Lights probably helped me persevere a little bit more, but that's a, that's a different subject to, uh, to, to talk about. We'll save that for another one. Um, Zach, for sure. We got, we got to get Andrew out on the boat too. So let's make it happen. Oh yeah. Can you wake, can you wake, sir? I have never wake, sir. Oh yeah, man. I'm oh, definitely going to be nice. Nice. You got someone to there we go. Look good. There we go. It's in, it's in, it's done. Um, Zach, pleasure. Some absolute gems in here. Um, can't thank you enough, not just for coming on the podcast, but for everything you've done for, for me, my career, uh, and for the, I'm sure, uh, all the junior golfers, including another one of, of the, the masterful team that I'm putting together at core, uh, my, who, who you used to coach with me, who will be joining us as well. And, We'll have her on the podcast soon. Second runner-up in female world long drive. So there we go. Yeah. Um, I'll catch up with you soon, dude. Thanks so much for coming on. Thank you, Zach. Yeah, you got it, guys. Take care. See you. See you. Thanks for tuning in to the Core Performance Podcast. Your one-stop shop for getting to the core of all things golf and human performance. Be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. For more information or to connect with Ian and Andrew, check us out on Instagram at Core Academy. We'll see you next time.